Escape from Plan A. Man, seeing your face is different. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, I think like, I was always able to put your face to your name, though, because I've seen a picture of you. So, okay, cool. Yeah. There's not many pictures of me on the internet. <laughs> no, no, I've tried finding you. You know, I was like, you have like scrubbed the internet of your um, existence, I feel like. Yeah, pretty much. I uh, don't really, I tend to not, cause just because of like the industry that I work in, um, you know, you want to keep a low profile when it comes to like people searching your name and stuff. Yeah, but, yeah. Yeah. The only pictures of me on the internet are like from when I was in college. <laughs> Shoot. And then I guess working in the legal industry, you, you have no qualms talking about your psilocybin um, experiences? Well, that's why I try to keep myself not, not Googleable. <laughs> got it. Got it. I don't mind talking about it. I don't mind, uh, I don't mind writing. But as long as, because that's, that's how it works these days, right? Like people just Google your name. Yeah, no, totally. Can, yeah, but otherwise, I really, I, I love talking about it. So, yeah, and then uh, I guess Chris, Chris is going by his real name now, right? He, yeah, he is. Yeah, <laughs> as he should. Um, but we, it seems like we have a mutual friend, um, and so uh, this guy Will, who I've never met, but I've we've potted with him before, and I've, I've spoken with him, and he lives in uh, the UK. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Will. And he he pointed me to y'all's podcast and said that I would enjoy it. And it was, I, I, I did. Um, and he was like, oh, I should reach out to you all. Or who was, who was it that reached out to who? I reached out to you guys, I think. Well, Will, Will was uh -huh. telling me that he was talking to you guys on the Discord and then was yeah. basically trying to feel it out like if it would be a good match. So, and then I think once he did enough work where um, he realized like we would vibe pretty well together, then he just put us together. Yeah, 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 yeah. Will's, Will's great. Um, he did a pod with us about sort of like self-defense and growing up in rough and tumble UK. And it was a rough childhood, man. He, he, uh, they, he grew up in a <laughs> tough environment. Did he? Okay. Yeah. Okay. And he's, he's low key about it. I mean, he's like, nah, it was fine. And then he'll, he'll just talk about how, uh, you know, how his mother would just chase down people with a cleaver because they called her, you know, <laughs> they said something racial oh. and then, you know. So. Oh, wow. Uh, that's cool. I, I didn't know he had such a rough background. You know, like I just knew like he was in med school and, you know, just uh -huh. overall, I've always enjoyed the conversations that I've had with him. You know, he just seems like a very thoughtful person and, you know, um, always just had yeah. good kind of comments for any type of dialogue that we were having with other groups. Yeah. Uh, there was another person that I was talking to at the time um, who was aware of you guys and your and it, the ham pod. And he's, I think, um, who was, who was it on your pot? Was it this guy named Terrence? Uh, yeah, Terrence Ching. Terrence Ching. Yeah. So he, he like knew of him and said, had recommended also independently that I listened to that pod. And he was telling me a lot about himself. My friend, um, was telling, I don't know if he wants me to say his name or anything, but he, he was telling me about uh, mushrooms and psilocybin and all this stuff, mm -hmm. which of course I'm aware of. I just never had done, done any psychedelics or anything like that. Yeah. And he said, Ter he said, Oh, you know, 
uh, Will had pointed me, to, I told him about the hand pod and I was like, oh, they had this one about, they talk a lot about psilocybin and this guy Terrence Ching was on it and he was like, oh yeah, Terrence Ching, I know, I know that guy. He's like, the, that's the, um, so a lot of signs were pointing me towards this and then at the same time, I had been talking to my friend about actually trying it. Yeah, and I don't know yeah. if you know, but Terrence, uh, he's getting his PhD in clinical psychology, uh, specifically focusing on psychedelics and not just psychedelics in general, but psychedelics for people of color and especially the Asian American community. So um, mm. he's doing pretty interesting work and uh, it feels good to have someone doing that because, you know, me running a cannabis company and talking about psilocybin, you know, there's, there's always like a little bit of that, like, well, Sabo's a pothead. So of course he's talking about this stuff, you know, versus, <laughs> you know, having someone like Terrence who's getting his doctorate in clinical psychology. That's really, mm-hmm. you know, talking about the benefits of doing these types of psychedelics and, and theogens. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, and I'm glad because it's, uh, I mean, I, so I did try it. Uh, with some friend, with 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 my friend and and some others who were, it was it was two first timers mm-hmm. and this this friend of mine who knew about Terrence and just kind of trip sitting and encapsulate the experience. One of the things about the psychedelic stuff is like it's just inherently frustrating because a lot of the written the stuff that you read about it it begins with there's no way I could ever describe this. <laughs> right so yeah. you're right off the bat you're like well i guess i'm not really going to get the full story of what's going on and it just increases your curiosity um and so i i figured i uh i would try it and i took um uh three three and a half grams i guess is the is is the is the dosage that i took and that's considered I guess, is that a large dose? Yeah, I would definitely say that's, you know, I would say most people are in that two to three grams. So if you're in three and a half, you know, that's definitely considered a, it's definitely considered at least a, a, a healthy, you know, like you're, you're not like wussing out, you know, like you're, you're taking a, a decent amount where you'll have some, some scary moments and some discoveries. So for sure. Mm-hmm. For sure. And yeah. have we actually started this pod or are we just uh, doing our, our get to know each oh, other? Oh, are we, are we recording? Oh, I, I just hit the record button. Already. Oh yeah. I figured we're already in it. Uh, okay. Okay. Cool. Cool. I just wanted to. <laughs> Sometimes it's best when you don't even know you're in it. <laughs> yeah. No, I, like psilocybin I, itself. <laughs> I, I do like it. I mean, cause I, I was like, yeah, we were just kind of like kind of shooting the shit and now we're into it. So, all right, perfect. Let, yeah. I could slap an intro on. We can slap an intro onto it later or something. Okay. Just, we'll do yeah, the intro now. later. Perfect. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so I, I, uh, I, I kind of sort of like set aside an entire day from what I understand. That's what you should be doing. Yes. And, uh, took it at probably around like noon or so. I I don't, I mean, we could talk about the actual trip. I, I, I just was wanted to chip. I wanted to talk to you just because I wanted to chip in onto the record, what my experience was now that I've had some time to process it because I think it's, um, as a person who had never tried it, I found that the more uh, descriptions of it that I found that were that seemed that seemed helpful to me. That the more people could try and describe what it was like, mm-hmm. the better. Yeah, I and, mean, uh, yeah, 
And you're right, you know, with a lot of psychedelics, especially when you read people's personal experiences, I mean, many, many of them do start off with saying that it is very hard to describe or that there, there just aren't words <laughs> to describe it. And it gets really yeah. frustrating. And sometimes it even tempts you to want to try it even more. And, you know, the reason why I was so curious um, about you trying it was, I mean, it, it, I've already told you straight up, like, I really respect you. Like when I hear you speak on your podcast, like I, I'm like, this guy knows his shit. You're super smart. Like, you know, like even your breakdown of like Andrew Yang, that podcast that you guys had, like, I just kind of went into it. Like, I'm just like a huge fan of Andrew Yang. Cause I've seen a few of his speeches. I'm like, that guy's pretty cool and stuff. He's representing us. But when I listened to your podcast and you guys were just talking about some of the things that he really doesn't stand up for. And you know, some of the things where he just really backs down, you know, it, it really kind of made it a lot more granular. So I was ever since I listened to that, I was like, man, teen is really a deep thinker. You know, it doesn't matter whether or not I agree with him on, everything that he says, but I do know that whatever he says, he has thought, you know, a lot about. So I knew that when you were going to try psilocybin yourself, you know, it wasn't going to just be one of those things where you're like, all right, well, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow has this goop show where they took psilocybin in Jamaica. Why don't I give this a try? You know, you were going to go into it with a, you know, with an open mind and to really experience it and figure out, you know, is this really a panacea or is this, you know, a placebo? You know, what is this about? Is this really going to solve people's problems or is this just another escape that people are taking and thinking like they're doing themselves good, but really, you know, putting themselves into a more precarious mental health uh, situation? Yeah, I appreciate what you're saying. I and mean, that's, uh, those are very nice things to say. Uh, I, yeah, I, I wanted to see if I could articulate the experience in a way that's helpful. Um, and uh, I, think, I think right off the bat, I would say that I can understand why people say you can't describe it. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, you can't, it's, it is true. I think, though, you can analogize it in a little way. I think the problem with trying to describe it directly is it's, I think it's such a you, you can you immediately understand it's such a personal experience mm -hmm. that there's no universal description because it is a, it is like extreme subjectivity. Uh, you really lose touch. Like the how do I you be you just it's just I think it's highly highly dependent exactly on who you are and 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 what state you're in in that particular moment in life that the description would just be a description of yourself. So it's impossible in that sense to universalize the experience. I think that's maybe the problem with trying to describe, oh, what is this substance like? Well, it really has nothing to do with the substance. It's more who you are yeah. is how I, I felt that, that it was. Do you know what I mean? Does that, make, does that ring true at all to you? Or? No, definitely. And, you know, like... Uh... I wouldn't say I'm super duper experienced in it. You know, I maybe do it once or twice a year at most, you know, um, typically on my wife's birthday, we do it together. And oh, wow. yeah, we, we kind of use it as like a, almost like our own, you know, kind of therapy sessions where we could really open up and dive into each other's like personalities and, and, you know, things that we're trying to work on, but that's amazing. But, uh, thank you. Um, mm -hmm. And actually my, my interest in it, uh, was because of her, you know, I haven't done it since like my twenties, you know, so it's been like a good 15 or 17 years uh, since the last time I did it. But, um, over the last four years, we've done it, like, like I said, once or twice a year. And because we were in different head spaces every single time, like, 
you know, like for me, I tell people, if someone told me I took something different every time, I would have believed it, you know, because some of them were much more just internal. Sometimes I had my eyes open and it was visual. Sometimes I communicated with entities, you know, verbally. Sometimes it was telepathically. And sometimes they just straight like downloaded information to me. So there wasn't like an exchange. It was just like, you know, like when you reset your iPhone, you know, with the new software app and all of a sudden, you know, there's a few new applications that weren't there before, <laughs> you know, it yeah. was kind of like that. So I very much, you know, agree <clears throat> with you that it, it's very individualistic and I'm curious, you know, like, you know, what was, what, what made you decide like, Hey, let's experiment with this. Um, just sometimes you, things come up, um, it, 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 I just took it as a sign that, that uh, so many people had brought it up at the same time, including the fact that, you know, two different people were telling me uh, about you all. And then, uh, <laughs> and then someone, you know, I had already been talking about it prior. So, yeah, you know, I'd love to try this just out of sheer curiosity. Oh, man. So um, it was very serendipitous then. Yeah, exactly. There was a bit of serendipity to it. So I was like, you know what, let's just go for it. Okay. And, uh, I, and I've, I've, you know, it's not like, I think, I mean, I think people classify, uh, uh, cannabis as, uh, as a psychedelic, right? Uh, yeah. I don't know if it's as strong a psychedelic as psilocybin, um, but it's not weak either. So I didn't, I wouldn't, I, I, and I guess I, I've smoked a lot of weed in my day. Uh, so I didn't think of this as like the first time I've ever tried a drug. Right. You know, but right. so it wasn't, it wasn't like that. Yeah. So but it is, okay. I've never tried like acid or anything like that. Um, so this is the first like, sort of like, I, I guess stronger psychedelic that I. Yeah. Okay. We're back. Looks we're like back. we're back. Zoom. The one stock I wish I bought at the beginning of the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> okay. Can you repeat the last uh, 10 seconds again? Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I just, I never tried, uh, you know, a, a psychedelic, uh, of that's of the strength of that's of this strength. Yeah. And, and um, you, you were right. Um, when you called cannabis a psychedelic, cause actually the strongest psychedelic experience I ever had was eating a cannabis edible. Um, so, mm. and it's interesting. I mean, it, it's like a little bit of salt tastes good on your food, but you know, like a quarter cup of salt will kill you. And, um, it's interesting when you think about cannabis where, I mean, it's literally like something like I smoke or I consume every day, but, um, one time I consumed this edible that was 500 milligrams and mm. I was basically high for three days, you know, like, Oh my God. And when I closed my eyes, it was yeah. like even brighter inside my eyelids. And that's when I was <laughs> oh, just like, geez. Holy crap. You know, like yeah. I really thought like, um, I, 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 w I would be the first person to die from cannabis <laughs> overdose, you know? <laughs> um, but mm. hey, so enough about my uh, cannabis edible nightmare. So mm. let's talk a little bit about um, your three and a half grams that you took. So I mm. recall you had a trip sitter to watch you. Is that correct? Yeah, I had a, had a, had a trip sitter. Uh, and there was another friend who was also trying for the first time. It was at my own place. Okay. Um, and uh, I mean, the, the specifics of the day are not particularly interesting. Um, you know, I, uh, I don't, I think I had, maybe it had less of an, a, a, a disabling effect on me. I actually kind of like went out and, and did stuff. I went, I went shopping for groceries and stuff 
in the middle of it. Uh, I, and to some extent, I was probably trying to fight it off a little bit. But on the other hand, I think there's something else was going on. And my experience was like, now that I've thought about it for a few months, I would describe it like this. It was like, as if someone else had, have you ever seen the movie John Malkovich, being John Malkovich? Yes, I have. Okay, it was as if someone had John malkovich into me. And I was actually uh, experience. it was kind of like becoming myself exactly who I was for the first time. Oh. Nothing had changed, but it was the first time you've experienced it. Meaning like every single mundane thought, every single you know, thing about your own life, while completely still mundane and you totally, you know, your memories are still there and all your habits are still there and your identity is still there. It was the first time you've ever experienced it and everything seemed completely urgent and new and interesting. And, uh, and all, since everything's new, uh, the, the one thing that really changes is that nothing seems normal. Like if there's something if there's something wrong, if there's something like, say, you've been avoiding or you've been um, just living with, you know, like a kind of like uh, even a physical pain or an emotional pain or something like that. But something that you've kind of learned to ignore mm -hmm. or get used to, it suddenly becomes new again uh, because you're not you, you John Malkovich from some other being into you. Yeah. You know, and you have no memory of who you were before or who, I, and this is an analogy. I'm not trying to describe what's really going on, but it kind of felt like somehow I had teleported from some other place into uh, this, this person you know, yeah. with, with full access to everything, all memories, all everything, but just everything seemed new. And that's kind of what it felt like. Uh, right. So it was like, you were still the same teen with all the same memories, but when you were experiencing things, it was like, almost like experiencing them for the first time, even though you had memories of these types of things. Is that? Uh, yeah. Access? Yeah, exactly. And it okay. was almost like, uh, almost like a, a dual consciousness yeah. where there was the everyday kind of going with the flow teen. And then there was this new presence uh, that was going through the whole experience of being myself for the first time. And yeah. uh, that new level of consciousness is, has an extreme sensitivity to it because it's not used to any of this. Um, everything's new. And so if there's something wrong, if it, it suddenly becomes much more apparent than to, you know, the person who has gone, grown completely accustomed to uh, going through life this way. Um, yeah. And I, and I suspect that that's part of the therapeutic aspect of it is that, it it it's sort of um uh, getting used to and everything suddenly you you kind of see everything with a fresh pair of uh eyes again even even like physical things like i noticed that my vision as you can tell my 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 vision's pretty bad but i've gotten you you know over time you accommodate for it you get used to having bad vision and with this it's like you suddenly see all the defects in your vision again and I wonder sometimes when people say they see patterns and stuff, whether, you know, we've grown accustomed to these patterns because they're part of a imperfect visual system, but it's almost like 
you know, when this happens, it's like, oh, you see all of those imperfections in your vision again. Um, things like that. It just, it just removes a lot of the stuff that we've, um, a lot of the purling that we've done around those kind of things. Yeah. It, so it's that, a, that's, uh, that's really cool. I mean, it's interesting that that's kind of what you got out of it because it, it very much parallels a lot of the, you know, theories that people that study this talk about, you know, like when you talked about how this could be very helpful for trauma, you know, like um, a lot of the psychotherapy sessions that happen is that um, they will have like Terrence will sit with someone and have them relive those memories. But when they relive those memories, they're not automatically associated or attached to the stuff that gave them trauma. So they could think about that memory. They could reframe that memory. Like, for example, one of them was like, you know, my, my wife was abused when she was younger, you know, and um, that really like messed her up for a long time. Like anytime she had to be brave, she would just remember like getting abused and just go back into her shell. And, you know, as she got older, you know, she became much more tough and, um, and now like she's, she's very strong and she could defend herself physically as well as emotionally. And part of the reframing had to do with like, look, you know, you were, you were abused, but it wasn't your fault, you know? Um, and part of this, like, you know, the shell that you've built, you know, like it's, it's actually helped you in some ways. Yes, it's definitely held you back. You know, it, it's given you trauma. But if we, we reframed it and showed that like, you know, this traumatic incident actually gave you kind of like more, more endurance to deal with like other things that may be negative towards you, you know, and that reframing has like really helped her. And that's not the best example, but I, I, I think it, it kind of works. And the other thing that you were talking about was, you know, about like how, like, you kind of see things for the first time, you know, a lot of the experts, you know, they talk about um, the way a lot of these psychedelics work. I mean, they all have different mechanisms, but uh, mainly what they do is they quiet down the cognitive mind. And what the cognitive mind is uh, responsible for is filtering out a lot of the information that doesn't help you uh, get through your day. So, you know, like the beautiful flowers that you see on the ground or your blurry vision, you know, like your body's adapted to like, no, okay, this is just supposed to be blurry. I don't, I don't need to stress out about it. And, you know, you focus your time on your work. And essentially, um, the analogy that they gave me was that your cognitive mind filters out like 90% of the data you know, like the, the, the sounds that you hear outside, you know, the, the light shining off the car. And if it wasn't filtering out all that data, you know, we would kind of be in that same state of like when we're on mushrooms and we look at a flower and want to look at that thing for like 10 minutes and awe at the beauty. So it's just kind of interesting. Like, you know, you notice these things happening and yeah, you know, this is, you know, it's congruent with what a lot of the experts are hypothesizing of like what's actually happening. And, you know, even though the guy that told me about this, he's a neurologist, uh, actually at SF State, or, or USF, sorry. And um, he used to be a neurosurgeon, you know, he always goes back to it's like consciousness and the mind. It's it's like we we understand if we push this area of the brain, this happens here, but they're still like figuring out like, well, how does life like come out of something that has no life, you know, like that major question. So even though I just told you all that stuff, he always kind of prefaced it by saying like, we actually don't know much about the mind and how all this stuff works. We could just kind of explain like what we've seen under certain types of imaging. But, you know, now that you've had a couple months, you know, to reflect, you know, I remember reading your emails like the day after and then like a week after, <laughs> and I could tell like, 
you know, it was almost like that example of the unstructured data. It's like, you're, you're finally getting like a bit more time to process all that data. So I'm curious, you know, like what, what's changed over the last few months? You know, the funny thing is, I don't know if anything's really changed um, so much as um, I, because uh, I think it's probably one of those things where if I actually wanted to keep pursuing the, you know, the process, whatever the process is, I'd probably take more of it. But I, I would, um, I got to, you know, when you say like about this opening the doors or the mind sort of being like a, like a, um, what is the term? Um, uh, like a screen or something for reality, right? Like an mm-hmm. aperture. And it does seem to open, like the, the psychedelic does seem to open it up. But at the same time, the aperture is still there in a way. Like you could you just become aware of the aperture to some extent. You know, it's not like you, I mean, I'm sure there's other types of, or if you take a lot or something like, it'll just blow the doors wide open. And sometimes I feel like people who've written about acid, it seems to be more just like you just completely, it's ego death and you, you know, you, you, you no longer have any sort of like cognitive filter going on. But in this, this experience for me, maybe it was the dosing or whatever. It, I didn't have that, what they call ego death or anything like that. It was more like, it was just like a sort of, um, it was like everyday life. Like I could still go out and do things, mm-hmm. but just, I had a very different, um, it was like I was doing it and then there was something else that was along for the ride <laughs> and I was along for the ride. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And, and, and I could just sort of observe what I was, was really going on in my head just day to day. Like if, and that's part of the reason I wanted to go out, I went grocery shopping and I wanted to know what was going on in my head as I, as I just did a normal day. And, uh, you know, one thing that I found was that I just had very, and, and I had a very dark experience. I think a lot of people come away with this with a very positive experience, but I had a very dark experience. But yeah, also, can you go into that? Can you go into yeah. the dark experience part? Yeah. I mean, I just went around thinking like, wow, um, every, I was interpreting everything that I saw around me. I felt like, you know, people are sick. I just had this, I had this intense, uh, and I didn't notice this but it's there all the time is this sort of perception that people are living very sick. Remember like going to what the buying vegetables and stuff and watching and which normally I would just be like, Oh look, people are buying vegetables. But at this time I was like, wow, people look, you know, they're just pick, they're just, no one's happy and they're just picking, picking at these vegetables and then they're paying. And I don't see the thing is, I don't think any of that is reality. I think what I was seeing was my own sort of negativity and how I, do you know what I mean? I was starting to pick up on how I immediately filter things through a very, very negative light and I'll pick up on almost all of the negative shit uh, and, and sort, of, um, sort of filter out, you know, happy stuff. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's extent. interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. You know, um, as I was listening to you, I was, um, you know, trying to understand, you know, like what, why you were experiencing that or, you know, just trying to, um, you know, rationalize it in my head. And what was interesting was you were saying, well, maybe it's because I view the world in a negative light. And I was thinking, well, you know, my kind of parallel story is when I took shrooms and I went to the zoo, I thought I was going to have the best time, but all I could focus on was like how sad the animals were. 
And yeah, I, yeah. and I, and I kind of walked away from it going, Oh shit, you know, actually, you know, in my normal life, you know, I like to think I'm an observant person, but you know, some things I observe and some other things I just look at and, you know, it just goes past, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was thinking that, you know, like, you know, just being a guy and really focused on like my own goals, like there's a lot of like, you know, minutia that I don't pay attention to. And then I was thinking maybe the mushrooms allowed me to like slow down and really just you know, it's like when you know, like someone's mad at you, you could kind of feel that vibe, you know? So I was kind of like, maybe like, I'm just more sensitive to like the vibe of the animals right now. So I was thinking maybe you were more sensitive to, you know, the sadness of the people that were out there. Because, you know, one of the things like, I live in Silicon Valley, and I've been such a huge proponent of technology, I always think like technology will solve everything. Then now when I look at like my younger nieces and nephews, like, you know, like, they just order like Taco Bell from Grubhub. You know, they don't, I mean, Grubhub's like a, a five minute, I mean, Taco Bell's like a five minute bicycle ride, you know, and here I have like nephews and nieces just ordering it from Uber Eats and, you know, everything's super convenient, everything's super yeah. easy, you know, and, and I, I feel like, you know, even though a lot of the software I worked on and sold was about automating stuff and allowing you to have more free time, one of the things I started noticing was, um, because they don't seemingly have to work for anything, they always seem like unfulfilled, you know, like mm-hmm. they're always thinking about the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. And yeah. I think the one thing that for better or for worse, you know, maybe the sensitivity that you get from psilocybin that kind of puts you into the present, you know, allows you to kind of like forget about like, you know, what do I need to do in the future to impress this person? Or what did I do in the past to make me feel so bad? And I think this is why, like, it's been an effective way for people to kind of rewire their brain. And one of the things that I, if you're open to trying it again, you know, I would recommend instead of going out, you know, put on some eye masks, maybe put on headphones too, and listen to music with no words and um, try to block out any external stimuli. So everything's happening within the head, because I think it's very hard to have like that ego death when you have other stimuli, because, you know, like the wall becomes like pretty interesting to look at, you know, the fruits look pretty interesting. You start noticing like, Hey, that person's sad. That person's happy, you know, Mm -hmm. but when you're like, when you're just free of those senses, I mean, when I go into a float tank now, like I can recreate like a, like a one gram psilocybin mushroom trip in there with nothing, you know, just Mm. because my, like, I'm just trapped in there with my head. And when I'm in there with my head um, and I just have to observe what's going on, like sometimes I could tap into just whatever that other frequency your brain is in. And, you know, you brought out kind of like looking at life through like a certain aperture. What's interesting is there's a professor at UC Irvine, Dr. Donald Hoffman. Um, He has a theory that, um, our senses do not give us a view of objective reality. Um, it just gives us a view of that gives us the best way to survive. And the previous, um, I think most evolutionary biologists believe that those that see reality as objectively as possible have the highest chance of survival. And Dr. Donald Hoffman has run all these simulations of creatures of equal complexity and creatures that see the virtual world in actuality versus creatures that were just tuned for survival. Um, Those creatures survived uh, 100% greater than the others. So he actually, he hypothesizes that humans evolved 
to have this certain user interface that allows us to um, survive and procreate, but we're actually not seeing objective reality for what it is. And he doesn't do psychedelics, but uh, one of my theories maybe was like, oh shit, like when we do psychedelics, maybe we're seeing more of the light spectrum. Maybe we're able to smell more of like the sense. Maybe we're able to hear a little bit more broadly than we normally can. That's why things appear brighter. Maybe we see some of these fractal things. But um, I think you would really dig this guy's thesis because, um, you know, he'll have like these other smart guys like Neil deGrasse Tyson or Sam Harris interview him. And after like three hours, they're like convinced that this guy's theory is is probably correct that we are not actually seeing reality for what it is. We're seeing a user interface for what reality is. And the example that he gives is, you know, I'm looking at pixels of you on a screen. It looks like teen is there with me, but the reality of it is the screen is filled with transistors and diodes. And I don't need to understand the reality of a computer to interface with that reality. And so that's one of the main analogies that he gives. And it's kind of like a, when I think about psychedelics and what he said, I, I'm always just trying to reconcile, like, are these different visions and views and things that we have just us, you know, tapping into more of maybe objective reality? I, th I think there's probably a lot to that. Um, the, the, the thing that was most interesting to me, though, is, is not so much how I perceive just reality generally, but how I perceive other people. Uh, because it, it, what I've noticed is like, that's probably the most important type of perception we're doing is the perception of other people and how we think about them and how we relate to them. And uh, one thing I noticed is how much I started understanding that when we talk to other people, we're actually talking to ourselves. That a lot of times when we're talking, we're actually in a conversation with ourselves, even as we're talking to someone, another person. Uh, a lot of times because people are pretty similar, we, we, we will be able to have a, like now, like you and me, we, we are talking about one thing that we've both experienced to some degree. There's an overlap to what we've experienced in life. And so we can talk to each other as if you and I are having like, you know, an exchange right. between two people. But what I noticed when I was on this, was when I was on the, when I was on psilocybin was actually the process is more like I'm talking to myself and you're just a projection of myself. You know, like I, I, I see you as in, in normal just life as, as if you're another person. But when you start to really focus in on the process by which we talk to other people, it's almost really more like we're talking to ourselves and other people are projections of ourselves. And we only understand those people insofar as we understand ourselves. Like you cannot understand another person more than you understand yourself, Right. 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 That wouldn't make sense. And, and so in a way, people in your life are really sort of like extensions of you. Uh, and, and when you're talking to them, it's like you're talking to extensions of yourself. And it's, it, it's tricky. It's, a tr it's weird uh, when you start to perceive what you're doing. But that, that is, was exactly how I felt what was going on. Yeah. You know, um, have you ever read Sapiens or Homo Deus by Yuval Noah Harari? I've read some of the Homo Deus. I, I've, I've heard of Sapiens, but I've never read it. Okay. These are really good books on I've just heard, kind yeah. of like the history of humanity and kind of the future of humanity. But um, what you I hear saying, him talk a lot. I've, I've, I hear him talk a lot like on YouTube and podcasts and stuff. You've all know a Harris. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a pretty smart guy, right? Mm -hmm. um, and one of the things that he was talking about was like, you know, the notion that we are all individuals, but 
like humanity is also like a giant super organism similar to like ant colonies um where you know like the the summation of the group is much more intelligent than just like a single ant and um it's interesting because I'm curious, when you did your journey, did you feel more connected to other people as well or um, anything along those lines? Um, it's hard to say. I mean, it, in, in a sense, I realized how, like, it's, like I said, there's a dual consciousness. There's like sort of the everyday you and then there's the sort of new awareness that has come and visited you, right? Yeah. I'm not saying that's what physically happens, but that's what it felt like to me. Um, the, in a way, you can see kind of how, and like I said, I had a pretty negative experience, how just sort of doomed and pathetic like ordinary life really is at some level. Uh, and how people are filled with, and how I'm filled with, um, you know, some some delusions about the sp how special you are or some delusions about the significance of you, of yourself yeah. uh, that are false and that have to be false because there's 7 billion people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but on the other hand, that uh, nevertheless, though, people are all equal, that each life is equal uh, and that the, the problem of life, like whatever the central burden or problem of life everyone experiences it equally so it, they're kind of opposing it's like on the one hand you're totally insignificant and you're you know it, you know and you're you're to i was totally aware of this while on on shrooms but on the other hand it's like well your life is the exact same as any other person's life it doesn't matter who how low or how high up on the chain of social hierarchy and how much money you have, how famous you are, or how pathetic and sad your life is. It doesn't matter. Like your people who I see below me or people who I see above me, it doesn't matter. You still are confronted with the same basic contours of life uh, and dealing with like, you know, mortality and dealing with things like that. It's all the same. Yeah. So two competing different notions. And I guess I, I, I tried, you know, you can't recreate the experience per se, but so I was desperately trying to distill it into something that I could remember, yeah. some l lesson that I could remember. Because uh, honestly, it was a harrowing experience that I don't necessarily want to do again. <laughs> uh, I might at some point, but it's not, it's not something that I'm itching to do again. But not, nevertheless, I thought it was valuable. Yeah, you know, um, that, that dualistic kind of nature of like, feeling like, man, I'm just like this insignificant speck in the universe. But then the other side is like, well, my life is worth just as much as anyone else's life. It's, it's kind of this interesting thing because I, I felt something very similar. And that's when I was kind of like, kind of alluding to like humans are this super organism, you know, in that like, you know, by ourselves, if one of us just dies, probably not that big deal. But you know, like if a certain percentage dies, like it's really going to uh, affect, you know, I mean, just look at COVID, right? Like if the healthcare system goes down, then a uh, whole domino of things start really getting affected. So there's kind of like this feeling like I'm not that big of a part, but I am also a very important part. And it's kind of weird to reconcile, but, um, you know, I've, 
I've kind of shifted because, you know, I, I had told you that I hadn't done like psychedelics for 15 or 17 years. And it was because I had like this really, really bad trip. And it was just basically thinking about um, the relationship of my brother and myself and how I always wanted like a super close relationship with him, but we just never built one. And I, it was like eight hours of me just in a nightmare thinking about him and how I've been kind of been gifted with like a lot of like the good luck and he kind of always got the short end of the stick. And ultimately, you know, like after a few years of kind of being tormented by it, you know, I was like, I think it was telling me to go rebuild my relationship with my brother, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, even though for a few years I had always just remembered this thing as like a really like negative experience, like what came out of it was, yeah, me and my brother are like a lot tighter now and we're much more open with each other versus just wrestling and punching each other. And the other thing that I think the, um, the mushrooms unlocked for me was, you know, I think you could relate growing up in an Asian household, you know, like we are very goal oriented, you know, like you get patted on the back when you get the A's, you get patted on the back when you, you know, do the piano concerto or, you know, any of these things, you know, like I just remember like my aunt, like everyone was always like saying like their kid was the smartest or this, that, and the other. So I think I very much associated my own feelings of, of, you know, or just basically I needed to accomplish things in order for me to feel like I would be loved or accepted. And, you know, uh, the last mushroom trip that I did, I came to realize that a lot of what I was doing was not just to be accepted, but specifically to get acceptance from my father, who was also a CEO. And the story that I had been telling myself was that I love cannabis. I love vaporizers. I'm a hard worker. I'm focused. I'm passionate. I'm going to be like the Elon Musk of the cannabis space. And this is why I have Hanu Labs. But deep down, you know, it was just that little boy in me that was traumatized that, you know, that wanted daddy's affection, that wanted the white girls to like him, that wanted, you know, the world to look at him and be like, oh shit, that dude's super cool. Like, you know, and, and, I guess teenage Sabo, 20-year-old Sabo, that shit totally gets him off. But to still be operating that way as 43-year-old Sabo, it was like really good for me to like kind of learn like where those motivations were coming from. And, you know, and it almost kind of killed my motivation to be an entrepreneur. But, you know, I was able to reconcile that by saying that, well, these things are true. I love cannabis. I love vaporizers. I love promoting healthy living. But also to recognize that a lot of this started because that I wanted, you know, full on 100% approval from my dad and also to get adulation from strangers because, you know, I would see, you know, movie stars growing up and just be like, oh, look at them, you know, like people don't know them, they respect them. And then seeing other Asian men just get disrespected, I think that just made me double down on wanting to keep proving myself. And now that I feel like I've gotten to a place where, yeah, I still care about what other people think. Like if someone like leaves me a shitty remark, like I'll, it won't ruin my day, but you know, like I'll notice it still, but yeah, you know, so much of like my existence now isn't reliant on how other people are going to respond or how well my business is doing. And you know, it, it, that was really freeing for me. So, you know, it's kind of interesting that a negative thing was able to kind of get me there, but I guess I'm just trying to sell you on the idea of whenever you're ready to do it again, you know, would love to 
you know, either help facilitate or, you know, set up a session where you could, you know, get that breakthrough that you were looking to get, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like what, what really happened when, uh, as I'm listening to what you're saying is that you really kind of refocused on human relationships. And I think, um, that was something. So the, I guess we're, we're, I don't know how much time we have left, but like the, um, the takeaway for me was two, I guess, two things. One was this idea that, um, you know, all life, like every life has to, it's, it's equally difficult and it's equally important in the sense that like you actually have to live the damn thing from start to finish. Uh, doesn't matter the conditions, doesn't matter who you are or what you've been gifted or what you haven't been gifted, but you've got to finish it. And, uh, that's a, that's a big task. That's the biggest task. Uh, all tasks are subsumed to that larger ultimate task of finishing your life out. So everyone's tasked with something equally burdensome and equally heavy. So in that sense, I think all life is equal. And so it kind of does away that helps me do away with this notion of like, whether we're making a dent in the world or whether we're significant or whether we're living our life properly, it doesn't matter. The problem is you've got to get to, you've got to finish it out. And that, that subsumes everything else. So it, it's in a way, it's, uh, it, it's kind of confronting the, the, the sort of like heaviness of life. But on the other hand, it kind of frees you because in comparison to that, well, you, you start to see that not only is, are all people equal, but all lives are pretty massive, right? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> second was that, you know, things fall apart. Um, and that, that was the nature of this negative trip for me. And May put me a bit at odds with a lot of the things that I've been hearing and reading about these trips being very positive and feeling a sense of connectedness and all things. There was a harmony to the world. I didn't feel, I mean, it wasn't, it's, there is a harmony, but it's not accessible to us. I don't think, I mean, I think that, um, the, the, you know, people talk about balance, but I think that there's the balance is really between the fact that life and people spend an incredible amount of energy trying to keep things together you're trying to keep your life together you're trying to keep your 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 family together your friends together your own financial situation together your mental situation together everything spinning plates that's modern life you're spinning plates and that's life all the time for everything for every animal every human being you're just trying to keep things from falling apart ultimately you lose and ultimately you fall apart there's maybe the har the harmony of it is understanding that um Understanding that dynamic between um, uh, between a world that wants to trend towards chaos and randomness versus being a life that's fighting up upstream against this, trying to um, d instill order and and derive meaning. And if there's a harmony, it's the opposition of these obvious, you know, contradictions. And facing the truth, which is that you will lose in the end and that your life is just sort of, that's a dark way to think about it, but it is true. I mean, nothing I'm saying is it's all so basically true. Um, and so, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is one thing I got really upset about was thinking, this got me really upset was the way that we all try to trans material reality around you is worth something. It's actual, like life is here. This is, you know, it's not some heady conception. It's not some mystical experience, but it is the everyday, you know, basic reality that we're confronted with. And a lot of times we avoid it 
because we know we're going to lose. But, and so we just kind of give, you know, I think sometimes psychedelics, this idea of tuning and dropping out doesn't really, you know, I don't really believe in that because if anything, you know, the, the, the thing that we're, that I'm seeing that people are missing, that I'm missing myself is the importance and uh, primacy that people put into material life and material reality. Like you said, your relationships with actual people in your life, things like that. And the only choice you have is like, look, I only have so much energy in my life. Uh, what am I going to invest it into what I'm going to try to do? And that's life, you know, that's, uh, it's, it's a brutal confrontation with the limitations of your physical reality, you know? Well, I I like what you said about, you know, really interacting in the 3d world. And I think one of my pet peeves is like when people talk about these entheogens and psychedelics as like this, this, you know, silver bullet that you take this thing once and your life is going to change. Or, you know, you start getting these guys that like, all they do is like, they start tripping out, you know, once a week or, you know, a few times a month and they really love being in that world. And, you know, I've always been very careful about that because, um, you know, the person that, uh, at least in the more recent era that has been teaching me about how to utilize these things, you know, he very much compares them to, this is like, you know, taking someone who's out of shape and then taking them to like a, a boot camp, you know, to kind of like shock their system back in shape. Like they're not going to be like a top athlete, like, you know, the, the Monday after this weekend, they're going to need to continue to do the work, continue to do the training. But what it's going to do is kind of like, you know, show them something that they hadn't previously been focusing on, or maybe something that they've been ignoring for a very long time, like really show it to them in a way that they can't avoid it. Um, and so that they could start working on it and start doing the real work in the 3d world because, well, that's, that's where we spend all of our time. And for me, you know, the reason why I'm such a proponent of it was that, you know, when I started taking psychedelics with my wife, I mean, like I was like on top of the world, you know, like my, my desktop vaporizer was high times desktop of the year, my portable vaporizer, you know, won design awards even before we launched it. You know, I got like, to get, get one of those, man. Oh, oh I, I'll send them out. I will, I'll, I'll send some out. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, so like, you know, the business was going good. Like my kids, they were awesome. Like I was just like on cloud nine. So I was like, you know, all right, maybe my wife wants to take these things because um, she has traumatic issues, like going back to her mom and dad. And I'll just do it to support her, you know. But what was crazy was, you know, like, I think maybe I got more out of it than she did. You know, she definitely dealt with her trauma, but I had to really kind of like, you know, really kind of like peel back the layers and understand like a lot of these actions that I'm doing, you know, like while I am a motivated, high energy, productive person, you know, like to understand like some of the inspiration was really coming from insecurity, you know, that that really did set me free. And the reason why it set me free was that I used to make a lot of decisions based on, okay, you know, if I make this decision, you know, which group is going to be mad, um, you know, who's going to lose money, who's going to, who's going to win in these things. And would just always be in my head, like strategizing about like, what's the best thing to do. And never did I ever ask myself, is this what Sabo wants to do? You know, like it was always like other people. And so for me, you know, in this second phase of my life, it's like, all right, you know, like I've done very well professionally, you know, like I have a great relationship with my wife. I got good relationships with my kids, you know, but do I want to be an entrepreneur for the rest of my life? Do I want to like be like working, like, 
you know, 13, 14 hours every single day? Or do I want to become like a podcaster and just have fun, you know, do more artistic things that Sabo wants to do. And, mm -hmm. you know, one of the things that I've recently done is uh, I did my first like freestyle session and um, I actually did it on Facebook live um, with, I think there was like 600 people watching and um, one, it was awesome to get out of my head and just express myself without feeling like anyone would judge me. And Talking about like free, freestyle rap? Yeah, freestyle mm, rapping. Nice. Exactly. Yeah. I mm. wanted to try that or like uh, doing stand-up comedy, something that would like really force me to be in the most uncomfortable state I would be in. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, like the reason why I did that was um, well, number one for myself, because I secretly always wanted to be a rapper when I was younger. And then number two was to really, I think, you know, I don't know if Will told you, but we met in this group called Badass Asian Dudes. It's I, an yeah. Okay, so in Badass Asian Dudes, like the bulk of the conversations there is like, you know, how do we make sure like, w like the white people don't think of us as weak? You know, how do we date white chicks? How do we get six pack abs? You know, like very superficial stuff. Uh, but still, I think kind of like if you lacking confidence, you, you still need to learn some of those skills. But I had always thought like there was something more to life than to just, you know, do things to make sure like the white man knew you weren't like you know, spineless or just like a geek or engineer, like don't do it to prove people wrong, do it because you want to do it. And for me, you know, doing psychedelics, I finally realized how much of my life was dedicated to proving other people wrong versus doing what Sabo wants to do, you know? And um, I got to say, it's been super freeing, you know, like thinking about like all these like playing out simulations, like playing out these simulations for work is very good, right? I make good business decisions. But when you start playing out these simulations in your personal life, like, oh, if I tell friend A this, they may feel this way. And then friend B will, you know, be embarrassed. And then now friend C won't come along, you know, like, just say what's on your mind, you know, don't be so passive aggressive. And, and if you don't like something, it's okay, you know, and someone doesn't like you, that's okay, too. And I kind of feel like, you know, just to bring it back, it's like, you know, for Asian males, and I'm just speaking for myself specifically, is like I tried so long to fit in and I did fit in very well to like so many groups that, you know, I think I just became good at being a chameleon versus being good at being myself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess I should try and tie this a bit to the idea of uh, Asian guys, right? Because this, this is an Asian guy podcast. Um, yeah, I, I hear you on all that. Uh, I think also, I want to, I would, I would add that there are, I think, um, there's a lot of, I think there's just an, a lot of people who don't give a shit, uh, about either their personal responsibility towards things or, or to other people. And it's a time where I think we really need people to start. And I see this drive in younger people. And then I see it being killed by the time they're older through just sheer frustration and whatever. Yeah. Um, and so, but, but I would say as an older person that younger people need to like not abandon that idea that you have moral responsibilities to, you know, in this world that your life is not just your own, right? Like you affect other people and the scope of your moral concern is one thing. You may just care about, you know, taking care of the people around you and that's probably best. Um, but I think there need, you know, what's missing now, and this 
it doesn't seem like people are taking them up. So there's a need for it, but there's no, no one's really doing the work. Uh, and so young people, I feel, have an internal instinct to do that work. And, you know, as older people, and I think you and I are probably similar in age in our 40s, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I really enjoyed your pod because I think it is very important to, uh, to nurture that in, in younger people to make, you make sure that they're not discouraged and that their instincts are correct. I don't think that they need to be changed or that we need to guide them or whatever. I think it's more just in a way to encourage them to just do what it is that their instincts tell them to do. Cause I think they got for the most part, their head on straight about things, you know? So I really appreciated you guys for doing that. Yeah. Well, you know, like uh, what you described was kind of me to a T. I mean, in in college, I was actually an Asian American studies major. And I think we may have talked about this, but uh, Randall Randall Park was my professor, you know, which (laughs) made it even funnier. Um, But uh, you know, like I was, you know, very, very passionate about like Asian American issues. And then, you know, once I started, you know, working and having kids and stuff like that, you know, like I just started focusing on work and, you know, paying attention to those things. And I think, um, you know, there's, there's something to like, as you get older, you could kind of get jaded and be like, oh, that's just youthful optimism. You know, like they don't have enough experience to know like this stuff won't work in the, in the big picture. But I'll tell you this teen, like after Will told me to listen to your guys' podcast, you know, like it really kind of like just remotivated and re-sparked a fire in me to like, remember like kind of like what optimistic Sabo was like, you know, like <laughs> the guy that wanted to just, you know, make a change and, maybe he didn't know what the change was, but he wanted to make a change versus, you know, the guy that I've become, which was, Oh, well now like every senior level executive at my company is like a white guy that reports to me, you know? So I get the shit on them. And like, I kind of felt like, I'm not shit on them. That's the wrong word. But you know, like I was like, Oh, I've kind of like made it, I guess, you know, like, and, and one of like my employees was actually one of my old bosses. So I was like, yeah, you know, like even look at this, I used to report to this guy. Now, now he reports to me. So I kind of felt like, maybe like how OJ felt like it was like, all right, like I'm this guy now. Like I don't have to worry about these things that like used to affect me when I was younger because of where I am right now. But you know, after listening to your podcast, I was like, man, I got to really like, that's not the right attitude to have, you know, like we need to still, as you said, you know, people don't need to, we don't need to guide them. They already kind of had that instinct of like what was right, what was wrong and what to get behind. We just need to keep that youthful enthusiasm there and not, have them turn into curmudgeon old men that like give up. Yeah. And just, just to clarify on the pod, I should add this to the, for when you say my podcast, it's not, you know, the reason I think it works, I think it works is because it's not mine. It's, it's, uh, it's a kind of group effort and um, it's always a conversation among people uh, versus just the, just the um, blatherings of one person. And I think that's the key, right. Is to always make sure that, um, as many people are being heard as, as, as you can, as you can have and to have a conversation. Um, it's the only way. Uh, so, you know, um, if it, if it does work, I think it's only because we're having a conversation among uh, many different people. Well, I think what's good is, as you said, you know, there's a lot of diversity of thought as well. And just hearing people talk it through and talk it through in a way, even when they disagree with each other, they're still talking it through. You know, that's very refreshing because at least you get to hear all the different information and 
you can make up your decision yourself versus when you have polarizing ideas or polarizing beliefs and people just shout each other down. It's, it's really mm -hmm. hard to extrapolate anything out of conversations like that. So, you know, I, I do really like that format that you guys have where, you know, no, there's always like one or two guys that I think are always there like you and Chris. And then there's kind of like, um, it's almost like the sidecast characters, like, I'll, you know, some guys, it's like the neighbor that uh, knocks on the door in the sitcom that you see like every third episode, right? So yeah. it's a yeah. really cool format. And I really appreciate what you guys are doing and the money that you guys mm -hmm. raise and, you know, supporting the Asian American community with that. So, you know, yeah. kudos to you guys. And I guess, you know, we're, we're I guess, uh, kind of at that hour mark. So I wanted to ask you, you know, like mm -hmm. you had said, you don't feel like, you know, diving into another psilocybin trip, but you're open to it in the future. You know, what would have to change for you before you try your next one? I think, you know, honestly, it's just a matter of time uh, because the, the crater that it leaves, it's such an impact. It, it leaves a crater that uh, I need to clear out some time for it. I just happen to have some time and uh, that's about it. Um, it's it's a it's more than just a few hours. It it kind of re or the you know, I think that someone had mentioned this. Like it it really is like turning <clears throat> up the volume on your life. Your life doesn't change, right? Like it's like you're still you. At least I unless I guess you have that full ego death experience. But it seems like everything gets turned. The volume on every single thing that you're thinking and feeling gets turned up to eleven. And uh, it can't, it's not actually so easy to dial it down. So even, you know, the, the interesting thing I noticed about it is you can't really tell when the pharmacological effects of it have ended. You, you don't know when it's over. Uh, it just kind of fades away maybe, but there's not a clear moment where you've ingested the last molecule and you're done. So in a way, the tail end of it can last in, you know, days or weeks, I feel. Um, so it's a matter of time and whether you practically have the amount of clear space to do it. If you're, if you're, you know, I know people these days uh, who are working and busy, they do microdosing and stuff, but this wasn't a microdose, you know? Um, so time, time and opportunity. Yeah. Well, you know, I really appreciate your experience because, you know, the vast majority of the people that we speak to, they come on and they basically, you know, sing the praises of this thing where even if you weren't interested in it, you're like, oh, shit, I should just go take some yeah. mushrooms and my life is going to be That's better. Right. That's right. And, and it's definitely I agree with you. not always like that. I, I've seen many cases, you know, and but I think it's also similar to... Um, What's a good analogy? I was going to say surfing, but you know, like the first time I took shrooms or any new entheogen, there's definitely like a part of me that can't fully immerse into it because it's such a new kind of experience where I'm kind of like in awe, you know, I'm just kind of like looking around and enjoying like the shift in consciousness. But, you know, by like the second or third time, especially I'm like, okay, I, I, I've kind of felt this before. I'm able to, man, what's the right word? I don't want to say like, let go maybe let go is the right word because you know like mm -hmm. i think there's a part of me that was like oh shit this is feeling so strong let me kind of suppress some of it and i wasn't used to like having so much and you know by the second time i was like okay i could feel this thing coming on i'm not going to control it this time i'm just going to surrender and i'll tell you this um telling someone to surrender it sounds like very easy advice but when you're there like i was just like how come i can't surrender like it's so 
challenging to surrender. And then finally I had to just be like, okay, even if I throw up on myself and even if my physical body like is in harm, I just got to surrender so I could get the most out of this. And when I did, um, dude, like, I mean, I, I, I used to be atheist. Now I'm agnostic, but the one time I surrendered, I spoke to what I guess a religious person would call God or the omnipotent being. And he showed me the, the meaning of the universe. And would you like to hear what he showed me before we yeah, sign please. off? All right. Yeah, of so, <laughs> so no, no, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> so he goes, all right. Um, well, actually he, um, the first question I asked, he goes, I'll let you ask any question that you want to ask because you surrendered. And then I go, what's the meaning of life? And then he starts to answer and I go, wait, 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 that's too simple. I go, what's the meaning of the universe? And then, so he shows me like this, basically what looks like the big bang. And it was like, um, this giant explosion. And then you would see like all of these, like kind of like firework, like things come out of it. Mm -hmm. And then I saw one of them land into like a single cell amoeba and then another one land into like a multicellular organism. And then they were kind of like just getting like more and more complex. You know, I got to like marsupials, then to like mammals. And then once we got to um, humans, um, instead of just showing one human, it showed like a hundred different humans, like a black guy, a white guy, you know, a Latino woman, you know, a tall guy, a short guy. And immediately in my mind, I interpreted that as, okay, all these other creatures are kind of instinctual and they run on a very basic program. Once you get to humans, this this firmware could actually be upgraded with different types of software. So you get distinctively different experiences. So it's like, once you live as a bee, once you got the bee experience, but as a human, you would have to live as a man, live as a woman, live as an underprivileged person, live as a privileged person to kind of get like that whole, um, uh, uh, holistic human experience. And then there was like these other humanoid experiences that came after us. And then after that were the gray aliens. And then when I got to the gray aliens, the guy was like, hey, Sabo, you've been waiting for me, right? And I go, yeah, you know, my whole <laughs> life I've been into aliens. And he goes, he goes, well, Sabo, um, one of the things I want to tell you is I know you're meditating. I know you're, you're working on your diet. You're doing all these things to kind of like transcend this material world. I'm doing air quotes here. And he goes, well, I'll tell you this. Everything in our world is intellectual. There's no war. We're always philosophizing about all these great things. You know, we have great discussions, but he goes, you know what I miss? He goes, I miss eating fried chicken. I miss getting into fist fights. I miss having sex with my girlfriend and boyfriends. He goes, we could procreate here just by thinking. Um, <laughs> and then he goes, he goes, say, but just don't, don't forget about enjoying all the physical things in life. If you want to get mad, get mad. You know, you don't have to be like this, like, you know, level-headed, like Buddha guy that you're trying to reach. Like that's not for this time. You're in the physical yeah. world. And so essentially like I, yeah. this wasn't told to me, but the, the idea was downloaded into me, which was the universe gave itself amnesia and is relearning and reliving itself through all of us individual, you know, yeah. meat facts. I, I, I could very much say that, you know, that's one way to describe how I experienced it. You know, uh, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be that far off the mark from what I took away from it. Yeah. Yeah. It just, I, I just interpreted it in a slightly different analogy. Uh, but it's fundamentally the same, uh, I think. Right. Um, yeah. 
this so yeah uh there's definitely some character to this thing there's a there's an effect that it has that i think and on the one hand is purely subjective very very difficult to describe because it's so personal but on the other hand i think as you talk through it it seems like there's a commonality to it as well yeah and that's why even though i i do see like a lot of sad things i also feel like very connected to everyone and you know to a certain extent even to like people that have wildly different political beliefs than me like i just kind of look at them and i go man you know like if i grew up in a homogenous area where everyone talked like this and i had the same biology as this guy like i'd probably think just like him you know and that's not to say i give him any hall passes on what they do but you know there's also a part of me that's just like yeah like you and i we grew up on the west and east coast like we're in multicultural areas like you know we are a sum of all these different experiences and in a weird way i i do end up having some it's like empathy slash pity for these folks that grew up in these homogenous areas that have like these you know i don't want to call it backwards thinking but yeah kind of like backwards thinking of like if you're not like me then you're not as good as me or you're against me and you know, in a weird way by having that experience, it's, it's made kind of living through this time a little bit easier, even though, you know, it's not easy, obviously, but, you know, just having a little bit of empathy for the enemy, I think, and I hate calling them the enemy, but having empathy for those that think differently from you has helped me, um, you know, navigate this time. Cause I thought with COVID, hopefully it would unify the country, but instead it's just, you know, polarized us even more. Yeah. It's, uh, that's another topic. <laughs> That's another topic. All That's right. Topic. Well, yeah. uh, Teen, thank you so much for joining the podcast. You know, like if people want to hear more about what you have to say, what, where can they find you? Uh, we're at planamag.com. That's our website. And uh, you can find everything there and the, the podcast, which, so I can just briefly, Plan A Mag is, is a, it, you know, it's all articles and essays and writings and stuff, some artwork. Um, by Asian American content creators and authors. We run a podcast called Escape from Plan A. And we have a Patreon. If you join the Patreon, you know, uh, you get access to like bonus episodes and a Discord, things like that. All the money that we raise through that, we go towards paying writers for more content. So we're just, we're just churn, we're just podcasting for articles and, and, uh, you know, cause we don't valorize free work. So we want to pay writers. So if people want to, contribute or if uh writings they can contact us at, at you know the, we have contact information at the website so you can submit articles if you want to write um or you can find articles if you want to read so awesome you guys are doing some really great things and teen you, you've got like a beautiful radio voice i even though i just said i don't compare <laughs> myself to other people anymore i wish i had a voice like yours yours, <laughs> yours comes across very authoritative like i'm like if you told my kids to do something i would be 100 percent uh, 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 confident that they would listen to you. As you can see, I have, I have, I definitely have the face for podcasting. So yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, so do I, so do I. (laughs) Well, Hey, I I really appreciate you kind of, you know, sharing your experience. Um, It was fun. Yeah. Yeah. And I hope uh, we could do this again. Yeah, of course. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, Hey, thank you for listening to another episode of the happy Asian males. We got teen here from plan a, if you guys are looking to improve your knowledge on, Asian American politics or just global politics in general, um, check out that podcast. It's one that I listen to. And yeah, sometimes when I get into arguments with people, I remember what you guys say on the podcast and then I 
hit them back with that information. And <laughs> I'd say 95% of the time that just start, stops the uh, argument. And yeah, that's why I feel very positively about you guys. <laughs> you guys have given me the ammunition to be the smart guy in my group again. <laughs> All right, man. All good right, talking. Dude. Yeah, good talking to you too.